Hello and thanks for streaming this episode from ACF Church. Our hope is that this word would encourage you to walk closer with God and with your local church. We hope you consider partnering in the work God's doing here by joining a life group, serving, and giving. If you'd like to give financially to the mission of ACF Church, you can do so safely on our website at acfak.org or by texting the amount to 907-341-4213. Now prepare your hearts to hear God's word. Thanks for the invite. This is a pretty sweet party. Yeah, we're happy you make it you and your party shirt. I gotta bust out the shirt every once in a while. It's sure? a good time to bring it out. Party <laughs> shirt, yeah. He always makes a mess of everything. It's not that good. Doesn't look that bad. You'll see. This is gonna be the best party ever! Do I need Bluetooth? Sarah, get off the Bluetooth so I get this thing going. Bluetooth, please! For the love of Santa! Bluetooth! Anybody! I need your music! I need the tones! You will find me! Can we keep music down, please? Chacho. Thanks for the party. It was a bomb. You weren't invited. Uh, yeah, I was, and you're on a toilet paper. Alright, it's time for you to go. Oh, so good to be with you. That's enough fun for one morning, right? If you're brand new to ACF, we just want to say welcome home. Welcome to church today. And let's welcome everybody who's with us online as well. We're grateful that you're with us. Streaming live on, on Facebook here uh, today. If you're brand new, there are confetti cannons every week at ACF Church. Um, they're not. There are not. No. So uh, we're just having some fun here at church. We actually believe that church should be fun and that uh, God's people should lead the way in, uh, in experiencing joy. And as we talked last week in this series, Party Foul, uh, we really believe that the biggest party foul that exists is that God's people don't know how to celebrate in such a way that would cause the world to ask why. Like, why do you celebrate? Why is there so much joy in your life? And so that's really what we're pushing on is this is the season of parties. Uh, This is the season of celebration and happiness around Christmas. And so what if there is a deeper purpose to all of the parties that we go to? What are the ways that God's people can leverage this season uh, for the best of our uh, community and our friends? And so we're really excited about that. The overarching theme that we keep coming back to uh, this series is hospitality. 
for, for God's people, this is a key practice in the lives of every Christian is that we would be hospitable people. Uh, that we would host others and create space uh, for them. And so we're going to talk more about that today. Before we get into it, a few things to put on your radar. The first is that Christmas Eve is coming. You guys, we are so excited. It's a big season for us as a church. Uh, that means five different gathering times, five different opportunities. Uh, these are all uh, identical Christmas Eve services. And one of the things that we do as a church is we uh, want to invite our friends. We want to bring them to church this Christmas season. Uh, what you can know is it's going to be a celebration. There's going to be great Christmas music. It's going to be fun. And it's going to be 60 minutes or less, right? Because we've got to stack these puppies on top of each other. And so uh, in and out a little bit, but uh, for you, this is an an incredible opportunity to leverage this season to uh, use this opportunity to invite your friends to church. And so um, I want you to consider doing that. And one thing, just like right now, let's just do something right now together, can we? Everybody, uh, would you pull out your phone real quick? Um, If you're on, who's on Facebook? Any Facebookers? Okay, everybody in the room. You don't even want to admit it anymore. Facebook's becoming less cool. Uh, But I get it. But, but if you're on Facebook, would you open up the ACF Church page and just share the event, the Christmas Eve event. It's pinned to the top of the page. And our goal this morning would be to have over 500 shares in one day. And so that's our goal is just to get the word out there about Christmas Eve and let our friends and our community know that you are welcome here. It really is one of those times of year where our friends are willing uh, to, to step foot in a church. This can be really uncomfortable uh, if you're a uh, Christian and you've been here for a long time, you don't think twice about coming in this building. But for our friends and our neighbors, this is maybe one of the only times of the year that they would say yes to an invitation. And so let's do that. Can we do that together? Um, so make sure you step into that um, this week at some point. Last week, we talked about how God has given us these spaces, whether it be a home or an apartment, wherever you live, and that he actually wants to use our space as a backdrop for miracles in the lives of other people. And so we shared the story where Jesus heals this this paralyzed man, right? And the man that owned the house got to use his home as a backdrop for a miracle, which is an incredible opportunity. And so I challenge you all to use your space, to find a way to host people, to welcome them into your home, and just believe that through that hospitality, through opening your space, that maybe God wants to use that in the lives of one of your friends uh, or one of your neighbors. And so we're going to move on from that this week and talk about, well, what do we do when we get together? What does this time look like when we invite people into our homes? And so before we get into the conversation, here's the question I want you to think about. What was the happiest moment of your life? Just think back, like, do you remember, what is, what is the happiest moment of your life? Do you have it in your mind? Okay, I, I want to hear it. So over this section, anybody, just shout it out real quick. Happiest moment of your life. Go ahead. My son was born. Son was born. Anybody? Ditto. Ditto. All right. Hey, guys, marriage, when you got married, right? <laughs> when I marry my wife. Okay, anybody here? Happiest moment of your life. Go ahead. What? Getting married, yep. Having kids? Anybody else? What was it? Parents. parents. Having parents. That's good. Anybody else? Family. Family, yep. Um, any happy moments over here? Happiest moment of your life? Getting born. Getting born. Yes! <laughs> I still remember. Anybody over here? Happiest moment of your life? Summer break. Summer break. All right. Somebody on Wednesday night said Legoland. 
Legoland was the happiest moment of their life. We have, we have happy moments, right? And again, this Christmas season is kind of a season of happiness where we celebrate together. And hopefully, if you're a Christian, it's the celebration that Jesus has come to earth, right? God incarnate, God in the flesh has come to us. That's something worth celebrating and even having a certain amount of happiness about. But here's what I've noticed in the church. uh, We tend to be sort of uncomfortable with the word happy. Have you noticed that? If you've been in the church for any amount of time, Christians get uncomfortable with the word happy. Happiness seems sort of unspiritual, right? Because if we're Christians, we don't care about happiness. We're just joyful. And what's funny is when people say that, it's always like with a frown on their face, right? I'm joyful on the inside, right? Like deep down inside, everything's terrible, life's just a mess, but I'm joyful. I have a deep-seated joy, but I'm never happy, right? But the thing is, I honestly believe that Jesus often had a smile on his face. I think that he knew the trajectory of his life. He knew that he was walking toward a cross, and yet Jesus still, I believe that he laughed a lot. He probably told a lot of jokes. He probably had a smile on his face a lot of times. In fact, when Paul talks about the early church, he actually says that even though we are persecuted and suffering, we are also rejoicing. At the same time, and and for you this Christmas season, I know that for many of you, it's not a happy time, right? Right? This is a time of struggle. Uh, What's amazing, the statistics are very clear that over the course of November, December, January, we see uh, people walking toward divorces more often. We see uh, mental health issues come up more often. Anxiety, depression is on the rise. I know for many of you, you don't look forward to Christmas because it means family, right? Some of you, you do look forward to it because it means family. Others of you, you're like, no, Uncle Bill's coming over, right? And it's going to get uncomfortable and there's going to be problems, Or some of you are dealing with a difficult diagnosis, and the holiday season just seems to make that feel more and more dark. Or you are celebrating uh, someone who is not here with you anymore to celebrate Christmas. And so there's a sadness in the holiday season, but some way and somehow God's people are still able to celebrate, still able to even laugh and smile. And I'm not talking about acting like things are not uh, broken. I'm not talking about acting as if there are no problems around you. But what I'm saying is we have hope in something because of Jesus, right? I mean, Christmas is the celebration that hope has come. That's why we celebrate every single year. I don't know if you can think back to some happy times in your life, maybe despite the circumstances. I remember um, a a while back, I was actually able to take a trip to Africa, and I went to Kenya, and I was able to walk into what is the second largest slum in Kenya, in uh, Nairobi. And it's a a place I'd never seen anything like this before. I mean, talk about um, sadness and dark situations and people that are are found with with these conditions that many of us can't even imagine, right? We've got open sewers running through the street. Um, These things that you would barely even call a home that people are living in. You see children that are sitting on top of trash piles, picking through the trash pile, looking for things either to play with or to sell or to eat, And then we came around this corner, it was me and a group of pastors, and we were visiting a a Compassion site. So our church, we we work in partnership with Compassion International to sponsor children um, in uh, Burkina Faso. And so we were just visiting uh, sites that they had uh, there in Africa. 
And so we walk into, uh, through this gate, and then there's this church that's, that's got all of these children at it. And as we come through the gate, in all of this darkness and sadness, we walk through the gate, and there's just singing and joy and dancing and, and, and instruments playing and kids that are just excited, and they grab our hands, and they're dancing. So now, like, uh, and a bunch of pastors, we're all dancing with them, you know, and we can't think of anything else to do but to celebrate because they're so joyful. They're so happy despite the situations many of them find themselves in. I mean, only Jesus, friends. Only through Jesus can we encounter what we encounter and walk through what we walk through and still find happiness. I do not believe that happiness and holiness are opposed to one another. I believe that we can pursue holiness and pursue Jesus and also experience happiness. And one of the things about happiness is that um, we, we come together, we celebrate in a lot of different ways as people. Uh, one thing that we all have in common is that when we want to celebrate, we all eat, right? Any people love to eat in this room? Okay, everybody loves food. We all enjoy food. One thing we know about Jesus is that Jesus celebrated life through great food. Uh, one thing you know about Jesus, he was the life of the party. When he came to a party or a celebration, he brought joy to that celebration, right? And, and oftentimes he even brought, brought, brought great food to the celebration, And yet, because of the way he celebrated, he was often criticized. In Luke chapter 7, verse 33, we read that it says, For John the Baptist has come eating no bread and drinking no wine, and you say he has a demon, right? You say, what's wrong with this guy? He's not eating anything. Seems like his life's so simple, right? And then verse 34, it says, The Son of Man, being Jesus, has come eating and drinking, and you say, look at him, a glutton and a drunkard, a friend of tax collectors and sinners, right? And he's just bringing out this reality that first, like, haters going to hate, right? Like, somebody's going to find something to criticize you about, uh, and, you know, no matter what you do. But in the end, Jesus shows up eating and drinking with tax collectors and sinners, with all the wrong people of their culture. And you're like, he's obviously just a drunk, right? He obviously doesn't know what he's doing. Uh, in the book of Luke, there are at least 50 references to Jesus and food. Uh, in the book of Matthew, there are 94 references uh, and for us, eating is such a big deal. We have the Food Network, which for me, my kind of MO on Christmas Day is just watch diners, drive-ins, and dives all day long. I just love watching guy eating the massive burgers, and then I go make myself a massive burger, and then have way too many calories in my diet. If we want to take someone out on a date, what do we typically do? Take them to have dinner, right? Um, food even changes our moods. Anybody get hangry once in a while in this room? Want to admit it, Right? Or it can make us feel better, right? You ever have a great meal and you just feel better about your life? It seems to impact us on, a, on an emotional level, on a psychological level. And certainly around the holidays, food's a big deal, right? I mean, some of you are already planning Christmas dinner. Do you know 22 million turkeys will be eaten this Christmas in the U.S.? 22 million turkeys, that's a lot. And this one's kind of gross. Over 122 million pounds of eggnog will be drank this Christmas season, I really can't stand this stuff. Anybody like, do you like eggnog? You guys? Okay. Uh, I'm alone. I'm al- fine, fine. That's good. Enjoy. You, you can have it. You can have all the eggnog. I don't want it. Anyway, 1.76 billion candy canes will be made and produced for the consumers this Christmas season. We eat that many candy canes. And the average Christmas dinner is 3,000 calories. That's more than like a day's worth 
of food. Side note, I don't know if you know this, but Americans waste $1.8 billion on unused gym memberships per year, by the way. (laughs) Just throwing that out there. If you're convicted, that's fine. If it's not about you, don't worry about it. But certainly for us, this is something that crosses all cultural lines. Food is something that we all enjoy, right? And one thing we know is that whenever we're celebrating or happy about something, food is always involved, right? If we're going to go to a great wedding, we know there's going to be a great wedding feast, right? A a, a graduation, there's going to be food involved. A holiday, there's going to be food involved. And in fact, for God's people, food has always been deeply symbolic as well. If you know anything about Holy Week, there's the celebration of the Passover, right? And if if you don't know anything about this, this is the celebration of God delivering his people from slavery in Egypt, right? And so God told them, hey, every year you're to party together. I love that. This is the God that we worship. It's a God that says you need to party at least once a year and you're going to get together and you're going to bring this spotless lamb, the best of your livestock, and this animal will be sacrificed and then you will have a meal together. You're going to eat really good food together and it's going to celebrate that I delivered you out of slavery, right? There's going to be blood that's going to be spilled that's going to celebrate what I have done for you. And what we know as Christians is that the Passover was a foreshadowing of of what Jesus would do for us on the cross. In fact, when John the Baptist sees Jesus, he says in John 129, Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world, right? So Jesus is our spotless Lamb. He is the one that covers our sins once and for all. And so if you fast forward then to the night before Jesus was crucified on the cross, we see Jesus gathered together with his best friends, And they're in what we call the upper room. They're gathered together for a meal. And Jesus institutes this new meal together, this new celebration. And that celebration would be called communion. Communion. It's something that we celebrate together as a church very, very regularly. In fact, the the most common scripture we go to is in Luke chapter 22. If you want to follow along, you can do that as well in your own Bible or on your phone. But we're going to be in Luke 22 verse 14. Let me read this text for us. It says, and when the hour came, he reclined at table and the apostles with him. And he said to them, I have earnestly desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. For I tell you, I will not eat it until it is fulfilled in the kingdom of God. And he took a cup. And when he had given thanks, he said, take this and divide it among yourselves. For I tell you that from now on, I will not drink of the fruit of the vine until the kingdom of God comes. And he took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and gave it to them, saying, This is my body, which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And likewise the cup after they had eaten, saying, The cup, this cup that is poured out for you, is the new covenant in my blood. So just imagine these these Jewish boys all around Jesus, right? And, and, And they know what the Passover is all about. And Jesus gets them all together and celebrates this meal together. And he's going to tell them about this new way, this new way that they are to relate to God. This new meal that they're going to celebrate that represents how they connect with their heavenly father. He calls it this new covenant in my blood. And he talks about breaking the the bread, which is like his broken body, which we know uh, is broken on the cross for us. And then we we read about the cup, the wine, represents the blood that was spilled on the cross, right? And so imagine these guys, it's all clicking through their heads. It's It's hard to get into their shoes. 
But for them, they're, they're kind of thinking through, what is Jesus doing? What is he teaching us now? Like something's changing. Jesus is showing us something, something new, this new operating system that we have in our relationship with God. And then he talks about drinking blood, which is kind of gross, right? Which, let's just admit, that's a weird illustration. Most of us don't sit at home with like a mug of blood, right? That's kind of weird. And for these Jewish boys, that's the last thing they would have ever wanted to do because they'd been commanded, right? God's people have been commanded never to eat food with blood in it, right? And so this was a really big challenge. Surely there was something new that Jesus was telling them. Here's what it is. Here's the new belief system is that God gives us the grace that our religion couldn't. Jesus is, is teaching them about this new way of relating, that, that in all of this, in, in the Passover feasts, and in all of the, the law that they had tried to follow so rigorously, that in the end, Jesus himself would give them the grace, would be the payment for their sin that their religion could never give them. There was this new symbol This was the idea of the blood and the body broken and spilled out for us. It's this declaration of Jesus' final victory over sin and death. It's a really, really big deal. And one thing that we practice most weeks here at ACF Church, and one thing I want to cover real quick, uh, because we get a lot of questions. If you're new to ACF and you just kind of walked in this morning, um, we actually don't have communion today, and I'll tell you why at the very end. But typically, we have these little tables up here, and you come up and you can receive communion on your own as we worship together. So one of the questions that I get often is this, why do we do communion each week? Like, why is this something that we do? So um, I grew up Southern Baptist. Any Southern Baptists in the house? You join in with me? Okay, a few of you guys in the room. So for me, as a Southern Baptist, we did this quarterly. We'd get together, and we'd have communion once a quarter, which, which was fine, Right? And then one thing that we started doing here is we do it every single week. So the question is, how often should we celebrate communion? How often should we do the cup and the, you know, the cracker or whatever it is that we do together? Well, 1 Corinthians 11 says this. In the same way, also he took the cup after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup... You proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Did you hear that? As often as you eat the bread and drink the cup, as often as you have this meal together, you will proclaim the cross. You proclaim the final victory over sin until Jesus returns to take us home, right? So answer to the question, how often should we celebrate communion? As often as you want to celebrate the cross. That's the answer, right? How often do you want to do that? As much as you want, right? The answer is like, as much as you want to celebrate that. In fact, in the book of Acts, we read that God's people in the early church, they committed themselves to meeting in homes and breaking bread together. Like they were committed to it. They showed up, right? Like you did today, even though your driveway was like an ice skating rink, right? And there were people in the ditches all the way to church today. Like you, you were committed to gathering together with your friends and family, to break bread together, to celebrate Jesus together, to open the word together. And so for them, this was something they did very commonly, uh, probably weekly together. Another question we get, or a statement I get, is something like this. Aren't we supposed to read the verse? <laughs> right? Like if, you, if, you're, if you've been around for any time, you know, typically Mason gets up here and he's like, hey, we have communion on each side of the stage. If you're a follower of Jesus, you can receive it, and then you just do it. Right? And for some of you, you're like, but what about the Bible verse, right? 
What's interesting, and what I want to say to you today, is we have so much freedom in the way that we celebrate the cross. Like so much freedom in the way that we celebrate the cross. And as Jesus teaches his disciples about this new operating system, this new celebration, this new meal together that they would celebrate even uh, for generations, as he's teaching them that, what he's teaching them is not so much to celebrate the liturgy or, or the, the, the cup and the bread, but to celebrate himself. See, communion points to Jesus it doesn't point to bread, it doesn't point to wine, it doesn't point even to, to reading a special verse. You know, this isn't some kind of incantation, right? Where we're kind of trying to draw upon, you know, the power of Jesus. He's here, he's with us. And he shows up when we honor him together. Here's another one uh, we get a lot is, shouldn't it be more introspective? Some of you grew up where communion was a little more like a funeral, Right? I'm a little sad, like we're supposed to be sad and downcast for a few minutes, uh, considering our sin. Um, and we'll talk more about that in a second. But one thing I want to encourage you to do is before church, you should prepare for church. Some of you are like, that's not what I thought we are supposed to do. You're supposed to actually come to church ready and expectant to meet with God. And that means having spent time with him before. And so whatever that looks like for you, I do think that you should spend some time asking God to show up in your life. Some time confessing your sins to God, going, God, man, I, I failed this way, I failed this way, but I'm going to celebrate with my people here in a few minutes that your grace is sufficient in my weakness, right? And so I want to encourage you before church, in the morning, maybe before you ever get out of bed, just start your day with that. But I will tell you, communion, I think, honestly, is better celebrated as a wedding than a funeral. Um, it, honestly, like, it, it's more like a wedding toast. Communion sort of like if you've ever heard a really great wedding toast, um, not like when Uncle Bill is drunk and just gets up to, you know, Susan and, you know, Bill or whatever. Like, this is when somebody's put some time and energy and effort into it where they come up with, you know, how you have impacted their life and they share some really good stuff. That's really what communion is about. It's like when we pull up a cup and we say, Jesus has conquered our sin. Here's to King Jesus, right? It's like a wedding toast and a celebration of what he's done for us. This is a question, I don't know if you've asked this before, but I think you should. Um, how did communion turn into a cracker and a little cup? Has it ever bothered you that the only way you've ever celebrated communion is in a setting like this with hundreds of people and with like, you know, what is this? Like a, like a quarter of an ounce of Welch's and a cracker that I don't know what it's made of, but it tastes terrible. Can we admit that? Like, I don't know what this cracker's made of, but it's not good, Right? This does not make me think of like a great meal. Here's what we know, once again, about the early church, is that normally when they celebrated communion together, it was in a home, right? It was probably with 50 to 60 people gathered together. They do it really, really consistently. And here's what happened, I think, to us and why things have changed, is, is that over time, although they had this kind of this liturgy where they would get together and they would, um, they would meet like we do, in fact, in Jerusalem, when the church exploded in the first century, it was really like the first megachurch. There were thousands of people showing up. Every single week, the word of God would be proclaimed. They would worship together, and then they would get in these homes throughout the week, sort of like our ACF groups. And that, that's where they would have communion. They would celebrate what Christ did for them on the cross with a meal together, right? So fast forward to today, we live in a one-stop shop culture, right? Like, example, I love Walmart, you know, I'm going to admit it. 
I, lo- I like to be able to go buy my Cocoa Puffs and cash a check and get my Christmas shopping done all in one place, and then it's over with, right? And, and I wonder if people come to church the same way. Have you ever thought about that? Has church short, sort of turned into like a, a one-stop shop where we, we come to this one-hour gathering and we think we can get our Jesus in in 60-minute intervals once a week? And there's just something that can happen in a living room that I'll promise you can't happen here. There's something deeper that can happen with people that you know personally. You don't know half the people or more in this room. But what if you were in a, in a home with people that you knew telling stories about the grace of Jesus, about his faithfulness in your life, eating a meal together, talking about Jesus' body broken for you, his blood spilled for you. There is something about that that doesn't happen here. Now, um, you know, we still do communion the way we do. You know, we, you walk up and we'll, we'll, you'll see it next week. We're going to, you know, dip the cracker in the, in the cup, right? It's a celebration, but it's almost like a metaphor for the metaphor, <laughs> which is interesting. Like the metaphor is the, the meal together, representing Christ's body and blood that's broken and spilled out for humanity. You come to church, this gathering, right? And it's more like this little cracker and this little juice. It's like a metaphor for the metaphor. You confused yet? Anyway. That's the idea. So I think that we've maybe kind of bought into this one-stop shop culture. We want to get everything in in one moment, and I want you to know, I promise you, you're missing out on something. If this is all you're doing, coming to church on Sunday morning, it's why we harp so often on getting in an ACF group, because we believe that that is really where life happens, is in your homes and in the community. So I really, really want that for you. Here's a question, maybe an important question to ask in all of this, because it seems like Brian's kind of busted the door open for communion, right? Is this, is there a wrong way to take communion? Answer, yes. Yes, there is. In fact, if you want to flip over to 1 Corinthians 11, Paul was dealing with this in the early church. There were people who were taking communion in a way that was not honoring God or each other, right? Once again, early church had problems, just like we have problems, right? And he says this, he says, when you come together, it is not the Lord's Supper that you eat. For in eating, each one goes ahead with his own meal. One goes hungry, another gets drunk, right? Some of you are like, that's like Thanksgiving at my house, right? Somebody doesn't get any food, somebody else is getting wasted, right? This is what's going on in the church, right? (laughs) Hashtag church problem. So 22, what? Do you not have houses to eat in and drink in? Or do you despise the church of God and humiliate those who have nothing? What shall I say to you? Shall I commend you in this? No, I will not. So Paul's chewing them out in this letter, right? He's like, what are you doing? The whole purpose of this is that we would all gather together and celebrate Jesus. Instead, you're gathering together and the rich people are showing up with all of their food and they're drinking all of the wine and eating all the best food and then the poor people are showing up and they have nothing This is not communion, right? This is not the purpose of communion. You need to understand that there was a very clear social structure in their society. I mean, kind of think Downton Abbey. Any Downton Abbey fans? I'll admit I love it. I've seen all the episodes, watched the movie. It was amazing. So um, it's kind of this idea that you've got the rich over here and the poor over here, okay? And many times the rich would eat in one room or the poor would eat in in another room. And so then you've got the church, And here's what's so beautiful about the church, is that we all stand equal at the foot of the cross. That's what's beautiful about the church, is that it's a level playing field. Whether you are a brand new believer, 
or you've been a Christian for many, many years, whether you do a lot of really good stuff with your life or you've got a lot of work to do, right? Either way, you stand equal, all in need of the grace of Jesus, right? All in need of this new way of believing and thinking that that God gives us the grace that our religion never could. And so when we come to communion, we come to communion as equals. And yet that's not what's being portrayed in the early church, right? It's the opposite. People are fighting for food. He's like, hey, if you want a meal, just go home, (laughs) right? Go home and eat. You can eat at home. But if you want to celebrate Jesus, then, you know, gather together and have this meal together and make it about him and not just about yourself. He continues on, verse 27. Whoever therefore eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty concerning the body and the blood of the Lord. Let a person examine himself then. And so eat of the bread and drink of the cup. For anyone who eats and drinks without discerning the body eats and drinks judgment on himself. That is why many of you are weak and ill and some have died. So these are pretty heavy words, right? I mean, this is a big deal what we celebrate. It's a big deal that we bring it all back to Jesus, that he's the one that sustains us. He's the one that keeps us going. And so for them, he's saying, hey, there is an unworthy way to celebrate communion. And it would be to make it about you, to make it about, you know, pleasing God in some way that somehow God is like, oh, look, you ate a cracker and some Welch's. Now you're okay, right? And the thing is, like, I don't want to make fun of this, but at the same time, like, I want to be honest that, that this sneaks its way into our belief system. I know that some people, and I've heard people say this before, like, man, I had a terrible week. Um, I knew that I've, I made a lot of mistakes. I really just need to take communion, right? This cup and cracker will not do what Jesus already did on the cross. I want you to hear that. It's the same thing as baptism. We're offering baptism today. This water will not cleanse you. Jesus can cleanse you. And so I want, you to, I want you to understand the purpose behind all of this and not let it find its way into your theology. Jesus is enough. He's enough. It's not Jesus plus communion. It's not Jesus plus baptism. It's Jesus alone is sufficient. And so I want you to get that, and yet we are to come with honor and humility before when we celebrate communion and, and baptism. We should understand what it is. It's a big deal. Uh, We celebrate two sacred events, two sacraments as a church, and it's communion and baptism. And so we need to stop, I think, and and just think about what this is about. I think we need to make it about uh, serving each other in the moment, right? So like if you were to do communion in a home, it should be a serving type of situation. We're trying to honor each other, right? Not where everybody's just grabbing food and trying to take care of themselves. It is an illustration of the gospel, and so we we need to take that seriously and honor God in that as well. And so in the end, here's what I want to encourage you to do. In this series about parties, about having people in your homes, I want to ask you to consider doing communion in your home with your friends, with people who know Jesus, gather them together and then celebrate what Christ has done. There's only three real simple elements that I see as Jesus lines out what communion is. Like three basic things that you need to do to make sure it is actually communion that you're celebrating. The first is gathering people. So you can't do communion alone, okay? The idea of communion is that it's in community, right? 
It's the same thing about baptism. It's the same way. Sometimes people are like, can I do a private baptism? The answer is, no, you cannot. The whole purpose of baptism is a public declaration. And so we don't do private baptisms, right? Just in the same way, communion is a, it's a, it's a community thing to celebrate what Christ has done. So gathering people, the second thing, around a table to eat. I love it. There's food involved. So as your pastor, I'm asking you once a eat, once a week, to just eat your face off, right? Just eat really good food together with friends, right? And then the third thing is in remembrance of Jesus. So gathering people around a table to eat in remembrance of Jesus. What if ordinary mealtime, something we do every day, is something that God had wanted you and I to use as an opportunity to proclaim the gospel to each other and to the world around us. And what if what we've seen here is just a a far cry from actually what God had intended? And what if in walking into what God had intended for us, we might see the power of God displayed in new and profound ways in our lives? This is really what I believe can happen. And so I'm empowering you to do this. In fact, I was reading um, a couple of different commentaries this week talking about communion. Um, Two of them said, don't encourage people to do it on their own, like in their own homes, um, in their life groups, in their smaller communities, because they're just going to mess it up, right? Um, I disagree with that completely. I have faith in you, and you still might mess it up once in a while, but I, I have faith that you can do this. You can make space for Jesus in your home. You can gather people. You can gather them around the table and do it in remembrance of Jesus. Like, you don't need a priest. You don't need a pastor. You are a royal priesthood, the Bible says. You are plenty to be able to administer this, this amazing illustration of the grace of Jesus. So I think it's valuable to proclaim. He says, Paul says, as often as you eat the bread and drink of the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. So I don't know if you knew this, but when you take this cup together with each other, you proclaim. The idea of proclamation is to preach, right? So when you take communion, you become a preacher. You're like, I didn't want to be a preacher, but you are. Every time you take communion. And I want you to know that it does ministry, Your life, the way you live, does ministry to the people around you. When you take this little cup and this cracker and you say, Jesus is enough for me, the people in your life are watching. And it actually is preaching the gospel to them. It's preaching the gospel to me. So every week as we do this, you need to know there's a ministerial value in your taking of communion. The same as baptism. When you get baptized, do you know that you do ministry to all of us? I mean, you share that Jesus is enough for you, and in that, we are encouraged. The church is encouraged in that. And so I want to push this even a little further because that's a great encouragement to the church, but I actually believe this. I believe that ordinary mealtime has the potential to share the message of Jesus with our friends, like the the people in our lives that don't know Jesus as well. There's a a proclamation that we make to them as well. And and maybe here this morning, it's going to happen, right? Like as, as there's baptism, one of our sacraments, maybe you're here today and you don't know Jesus. You're not a believer in Christ, but you're going to watch someone get in this tank and say that Jesus is enough. And their hope for you is that you would believe that he's enough for you as well. That's what we really want to see. So I want to encourage you to start to step out, invite people into your home, plan a great meal together. There needs to be Christian people. And I also want you to include people who are not believers. Involve them into this, this party that you're going to plan. And here's the things that you need to do to make this communion. Here's the things you need to do. The first is that you need to lead a conversation of gratitude. 
just start to talk to people about gratitude. One of the uh, words that we have for communion, maybe this is what you grew up with, is it was called the Eucharist. And the word Eucharist in the Greek literally means thanksgiving. And so when you celebrate communion, you're, you're, you're giving thanks to God for his body and his blood. So lead a conversation of gratitude. Here's a few simple questions you can act, ask. You could ask, uh, name one way that God has provided for you this week. So imagine you're on a table. You've got your Christian friends, your non-Christian friends. And you're like, hey, friends of mine that know Jesus, right? Like, tell me how God has provided for you this week. And they're going to tell you stories about God's faithfulness in their lives. They're going to talk about thankfulness in their lives, right? You could ask this, what does grace look like to you this week? What you're going to find is maybe your, your friends that don't know Jesus are going to be like, well, I don't know if I'm a Christian, but I, I've got some grace in my life, right? There's some things for me that I don't deserve that have been poured out upon me by someone or something. So that will lead in gratitude. How about this question? Who would you be without Jesus? So imagine your Christian friends talking about, man, like, man, I was just like, I was an angry man. I just like, fits of rage in my life. And over the course of years, I've just seen Jesus give me grace for each other, uh, for the people around me. I've seen him give me patience for the situations I find myself in. Somebody over here is like, man, I was just lost in this addiction and I just, I can't believe that Jesus has brought me so far. So imagine these testimonies being shared. And then maybe you've got a little bread. Maybe you've got some juice. And again, it's not about those specific elements, but you could, you could have those and you could break bread and say, Jesus was broken for us to show us that he's enough. And his blood was spilled, just like this, this, this wine or this juice, his blood was spilled for us. And you could just simply say, hey, here's to Jesus, right? And you could do a toast to, to Jesus and what he's done for you. I, I believe fully that as you do this, as you invite people over for good food and good drinks, you'll be practicing this radically ordinary hospitality that will lead to conversations that just might change someone's life. And that would be a beautiful Christmas present, wouldn't it? So I want you to grab your action card real quick as we close out here today. This is everybody in the room. Just pick this up real quick if you would. Uh, this is part of our kind of new routine as a church. We're doing this for a season. And it's just a way to help us take a next step. And so grab a pen if you would and, and, and consider what do you need to do next. And I'm not telling you what you need to do, but you decide. What is the Spirit saying to you? Maybe for you today it's just simply to believe what I had said, this new way of believing that, that God wants to hand us and give us the grace that religion could never give us. That you need to let go of some old beliefs about God. Let go of some old things that you used to live by and believe something new. And for you just to commit your life to that Jesus is what you need to do today. Maybe you need to ask God to give you faith to be hospitable. Maybe you need to ask God to, to give you the faith that it takes to, to, to believe that that is, is a powerful thing. And you've got your doubts. You're like, I'm not so sure it's going to be valuable. Maybe it's just asking God, show me that you want to use me, God, in my home, with my friends, to share the gospel. Maybe for you, you need to um, invite, actually, you know what? I'm, I'm on old stuff, aren't I? That's funny. I'm on the old action card. This is the, does anybody have this one, get baptized today? Is this the new one? Okay. All right. This is the other one. So get baptized. Maybe that's you today. Maybe your next step is to get baptized. And, uh, and maybe that's, that's for you. And as we come into worship in the next few minutes, you can come out to the lobby. And we've got a table set up. We've got shorts and shirts for you and everything you need to get baptized. 
And then we have uh, turn mealtime into communion. Maybe you believe that today you can commit to doing that. And then the, the fourth one is so important, invite someone new to the table. Maybe there's somebody in your life that you're like, man, that is somebody that needs to get around my, my Christian friends. They need to hear these stories of God's faithfulness. And in that, they're going to hear the gospel. So whatever that next step is, just check that box. We can drop these into the offering basket at the end of service. Would you stand up? I'd love to pray for you. And we're going to move on and worship here uh, this morning. God, thank you so much that you would use all of us. God, thank you so much that um, we don't have to be an ordained reverend or a priest or a pastor, God. We simply need to be your willing servants. And as we are your willing servants, God, you promise to use what we do and to empower it by your spirit to see lives transformed. God, and that is our heart this Christmas season. We really want for people to see that hope has arrived because Jesus has arrived. And so God, would you show us how to do that in new and in more profound ways, God? Could we take ordinary actions like a meal time together? And could we use that time, those few moments, to make a deep impact on other people's lives? God, give us courage. I know there's people in the room who just need courage to be able to ask these questions, to be able to push things a little bit deeper. I pray you grant them that as well. And God, we pray for those who have been baptized already today, God, that you would um, continue to, to plant seeds within their heart of, of who you are. They fully embrace and own the identity that you've given them in Jesus. And God, for all of us here today, we come together equally, all needing your grace. Thank you that the playing field is level at the foot of your cross. And God, we want to embrace that in fresh and new ways this week. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Love you guys. Thanks.